Spencer Valp for the team of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his weekly Monday appearance. This is his weekly Monday appearance. He's the managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. What follows as he does uh, each week on Mondays, Dave Cameron endeavors to analyze all baseball. Of particular note today, Dave Cameron has, uh, for the second week in a row, has a proposal for Major League Baseball, one that uh, that same organization is unlikely to adopt. In this case, it involves the draft and abolishing it. It's the fourth time we count, the fourth time that Dave Cameron has suggested abolishing the draft uh, during his tenure at Fangraphs. We briefly revisit last week's conversation with regard to prospective rule changes, what sort of game, what sort of player one would uh, want to incentivize teams to roster in the case of those rule changes. I asked Dave Cameron that question. Finally, uh, James Shields has signed with the San Diego Padres. James Shields has signed with the San Diego Padres. Four-year, $75 million deal at the very least, concerning the depth with which that deal is addressed um, in the conversation that follows. Dave Cameron offers this suggestion. I want to rename the pod. We should call it Burying the Lead. It's Fangraphs Audio. It features managing editor Dave Cameron, and it begins right now. start off. Uh, Callie and I have just made arrangements to go to Mexico City. Okay. And, uh, of course, we have a dog. We're going to leave it with my mom, I think, or maybe we'll put it in the kennel. Yeah. Uh, you have a dog. You also have a child. Yeah. And I was just thinking, is there such thing as a kennel for children? Um, y- yes, but not legal. Not they're probably, le- yeah, they're probably in Mexico City. If you wanted to take the kid with you, and then you put put him on there. Yeah, but we'll get... Find one. So if you, if you have a kid... Uh-huh. Right. So, like, if you have a dog and you don't know anyone in the area and yeah. you need your dog taken care of, you bring your dog to a kennel. Or, you know, some of yeah. these are quite – like, the one near us is nice. Right. You know, she can run around during the day, play with other dogs. She gets tired and it's great. Uh, but if you have a kid, which you do, what, what do you do if you don't necessarily know anyone in the area? Take them with you? Take them with you. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> I think this is the, the key of parenting is that they're now attached to you. For the yeah, that's right. Okay, all right. Years, so yeah. what you're saying is you'd want to bring your child with you in this particular case. I mean, I think, like, I didn't read that many parenting handbooks, but I think Chapter 1 was usually, uh, you know, don't leave your kid with strangers. Don't leave your kid, yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, at what age do you start leaving them? Because if you go to, like, a camp, if they go to camp. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, at some point they develop friends. Who, who then no longer are strangers, so then you can, like, let them spend the night at their friend's house. But, it, you know, when they don't speak or, you know, socialize, maybe just handing them to a random person is not, not, not wise. Good. Yeah, right. All right, all right. But you, you could try it, you know. I was just, I, Yeah, I guess, yeah, I was thinking there's no count. Yeah, all right, but you can take a baby with you. It's harder to take a dog with you on a trip. Most places are more kid-friendly than pet-friendly. Right. Yeah. That's right. Although I, I have been to a couple of restaurants recently where it expressly states... Um, that uh, or there was a, a one restaurant, one B and B, expressly stated children are not welcome. Yeah, I can see why. I mean, yesterday we took our little guy out for his first trip to a restaurant. We went to a Sunday brunch, uh-huh. and uh, it was a pretty a pretty busy place. And so you know we put the car seat down next to a young couple who looked like they were probably on a date, and we immediately began apologizing in advance yeah. for ruining their date by bringing the child you know three feet from them. You know. But then he, he behaved pretty well. So it seems like you – did you make it a, 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 as awkward as, as possible in as many ways as possible? That's what I do. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just add Dave Cameron. 
Yeah, right. If you're on a date and I show up, it's probably the end of your date. It's going to be the end of the date. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, <clears throat> let's see. The uh, what we got here? Um, oh man, Dave Cameron's on the line. Hey, uh, to follow up from last week, we we were discussing the uh, a, a proposal. You had a proposal which you do which you do not believe will be accepted by Major League Baseball. To uh, it was the four pitcher proposal. Yeah, I proposed a lot of things that Major League Baseball will not adopt. So right. To well, clar- you, clarify which of my crazy plans you're well, talking about. We're going to discuss another one of your proposals today. Okay. Um, what percentage of your posts are proposal related? Uh, in January and February, when nothing is happening, probably yeah. like fifty percent. Fifty percent. You know, the baseball has seasons, and there's like the trade season and prospect season and the postseason. Uh, this is crazy proposal because nothing's happening. Season. Right. Right. Yeah. And Fangraphs Plus. Uh, Fangraphs Plus season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this is like kind of leading into the start of fantasy season. So right. this is where I just hand the ball to Eno and tell him to go get all the traffic. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, so uh, you you had invoked the 1985 Cardinals. As a as a sort of model, which if the if the league were going to make rules, they might make rules so the teams would be incentivized to look like that club. Yeah, correct. And we never talked about this. I tried. I wrote a post midweek last week, um, attempting to essentially assemble a team that would be the ideal team using just a couple of sort of indicators. Yeah, um, I really liked that post. Oh, you did. Yeah, it was well, fun. Uh, I especially liked the commentator who hated it uh, with a deep, <laughs> deep-seated passion. Yes, he was th- really against all Carson Sestouli posts. Yeah, but I think that that might actually be uh, someone who is a is – a, it was a friendly insult, I think, if you yeah, know what I mean. Uh, right. yeah. But I still enjoyed reading it. Still enjoyed reading it, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but, so that was one attempt, but I guess I'd go right to you and say – you did. You did again. You did invoke the 1985 Cardinals. But among the players who are around today, what's the sort? Uh, you know, what sort would you like the rules to be sort of pushing and incentivizing so that these would become the star players, or, or they'd be at least valuable players for their teams? Uh, well, I think the answer is always Mookie Betts, right? I mean, well, this is just you know the, the goal of Fangraphs is to promote Mookie Betts at all times. Yeah, I, I don't know. Is it? I because I'll be honest. Um, as a person who writes for the site, that's where I also am getting a lot of my analysis. <laughs> uh, and um, I, I have seen, though, in some comments that maybe Fangraphs is perhaps more bullish on Mookie Betts <laughs> than other places. I think uh, our reputation in some circles will rise and fall on Mookie Betts' future performance. Really? Okay. All right. I mean, I think, you know, there's no question we have kind of been – uh, we are associated as the the head cheerleaders of the Mookie Betts fan club. Right, right, and and of course, it, I don't know. I assume part of that is he's he's very well acquitted by uh, all the projection systems. Really, the numbers like him, and he's still small. I mean, I think this is you know kind of a classic Moneyball divide, right? Like we have a guy who's hit all the way through the minor leagues, and then you know he's five nine and one hundred and fifty pounds, and so you know if you care more about performance, which we generally do. Then you like Mookie Betts, and if you care more about stature and projectability, which scouting types often do, then you probably are not as big a fan as the numbers. So I think you know this is just kind of a, a, a you know the divide that uh, we saw more often ten years ago than we see today, but still exists to some degree. Well, how big is here's a question: How big is Jurickson Profar? Is he is he bigger? He's not, but he plays shortstop. I think okay. so. There's kind of an exception for guys who who play shortstop or even center field to a lesser extent. Uh, if you kind of 
play one of these positions, you get a free pass on the small and the scale. But if you play another position, your size is held against you. Right. Okay. And actually, uh, a quick look does he actually is bigger too? It was six feet, I guess. I, I didn't know that. Well, listed at. I mean, right. You know, right, like okay. take all these. Any, anyone who's listed at six foot could be anywhere between like five four and five nine. <laughs> but not over. Not, not over. over never over five nine. <laughs> yeah, They're never okay. actually six feet tall. All right. All right. Um, all right. Well, I did not necessarily. I was not aware of that with regard to bets, but um, that probably is just a sign of the colossal degree to which the bias has overwhelmed me. Yeah, go go, Mookie, go. Was there yeah. a question about not that was not about Mookie Betts that started this conversation? There was. Well, yes. The the idea was. <laughs> well, I mean, besides who who would you surround with? Whom would you surround Mookie Betts? Um. Yeah. I mean, I think like this is kind of maybe not my platonic ideal, but like the. Uh, the kind of player, uh, you know, all around. Maybe a Coco Crisp is another good example of a guy mm-hmm. who kind of does a lot of things well and, and maybe not exceptional in any one thing except for maybe base stealing, which is the thing that I think the 85 Cardinals uh, exemplified. Right. Um, so, you know, I think you're probably mm-hmm. looking at, uh, you know, maybe, uh, yeah, I guess Coco Crisp would probably be the best example I could think of off the top of my how head. About a, guys. How, about, how about Jose Altuve? Yeah, sure. Altuve would fit in the mold as well. Uh, he almost might be too good. I feel. Yeah, like, well, that's that's a problem, right? Because because yeah. you're because when you talk about uh, refashioning the certain rules, again, totally hypothetical. But when you talk about refashioning certain rules to um, that, so therefore now teams are incentivized to roster one sort of player yeah. as opposed to another. Because obviously, at, at one point, it was the it was the during the early aughts, it was the bulky. No right. defense, um, power hitter, lumbering sluggers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, if you are going to push them towards, if you are, if you do push teams towards players who can uh, steal bases and cover wide, wide swaths of uh, defensive outfield, they're not right. They're not all going to be Mookie Betts and Jose Altuve and even Coco Crisp. They're going to be, they're going to be some players who do not have. You're gonna get some D Gordons and, and yeah, right. Like, yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. You're gonna you're gonna get that sort of player and some some less impressive, and then and then yeah, it's like well now there's you know at some point there's no there's like zero power on contact. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean I think like that's the thing we could you know say maybe the the most fun baseball would be is if everyone was Jacoby Ellsbury, but Jacoby Ellsbury is a you know well above average all star caliber player. You know, there's not going to be 750 players who are that good. So if you want a range of players around a skill set where maybe, you know, Ellsbury types or, you know, um, I guess maybe peak Ellsbury with a 30 home run version or, you know, right. Mike Trout light or something. I, I mean, Andrew McCutcheon is like the best version of the skill set, right? Like right, right. a really great all around player. McCutcheon just happens to be awesome at everything instead of just good at everything. But, you know, you're not going to get that many of those kinds of guys. So how many Brendan Ryans or, um, you know, maybe Brandon Crawford is a better example. How many of those kind of guys are you willing to put up with in order to get, you know, a- more Ellsbury and McCutcheon types in baseball? Yeah, I just think of also, like, for some reason, I think of, like, uh, Minnesota Twins infielders from the, yeah, right. from the late 80s. Like, yeah. you know, like, they had uh, Gre- Larkin, Gene, yeah. Gene Larkin. Gene Larkin, yep. Greg, Greg Gagne. Greg Gagne, right, yeah. Yeah. Just uh, someone named Gene. Because that's what happens when you start having smaller guys. You're gonna end up with a with a ball player named Gene. I don't know. I think you might need a time machine to have guys named Gene. Have, have you Gene. ever? When was the last time you met a baby and they were like, "This is my baby named Gene"? Yeah, that's a good point. I guess it's short for Eugene. Yeah. 
which also probably not a very popular name at no. the moment. There is a Eugenio Valiz, I think. Uh, Valiz. Yeah. Eugenio, Eugenio Suarez Valiz. as well, yeah. who yeah. who came, uh, up, came up today into, in the Zips projections. In the Zips projections for the Reds, he was uh, he was uh, he's actually well, you're looking at it um, because the Alfredo Simone trade uh, occurred before the Tigers projections went up. So Alfredo Simone was listed with the Tigers, I think, only for it was one and a half wins. Yeah, and um, Eugenio Suarez is uh, two to two and a half wins. Yeah, uh, Zip thinks Suarez is their best middle infielder, while they pay Brandon Phillips fifteen million a year. Right, uh, and who who knows? I guess. I, I'm a, um, well, we don't we don't know. I suppose. Philip Phillips has been quite good in the past, but he's, he's yeah. getting older. Correct, and Suarez, I think you know that was probably the underrated good pickup of the winter. Like, the Reds didn't have a great offseason, but that was a really nice move. Well, we're talking about the Reds right now. Um, uh, the, I was surprised, especially because they were a team that traded away two pitch, pitchers with some sort of rain, uh, name recognition Yeah. in Matt Latos and Alfredo Simone. Uh, not that not that Simone was fantastic, but he, is, he was a competent starter this year. He was good year. last year. Yeah, and he throws real hard. Um, uh, I mean, not like he doesn't throw like ninety-eight or something. He's, he, I think he finished top five uh, s- uh, sitting fastball velocity among starters. Maybe that could be true. Yeah, that could be true. I think yeah. it is true. Okay, I will you know? not not entirely question it because yeah. I I can't prove it off the top of my head. Well, all right. Well, I'm going to um, look it up in a clandestine. I guess when fashion. when I hear someone throws really hard, I'm not thinking Alfredo Simone. Well, what are you thinking for starters? Are you thinking Jordano Ventura? I mean, that would be the yeah. All right. right. Yeah. So among 88 qualifiers, Simone was ninth in between okay. Jeff Samarja and Jordan Zimmerman. Right. So again, I don't think of Jordan Zimmerman as a power pitcher. You don't think of Jordan Zimmerman as bad, but he does throw quite hard. Yeah, the 94, right? Uh, yeah, 94 for starters to sit yeah. there. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's not like he's a soft tosser, but I mean, I guess when I hear someone say this guy throws really hard, I'm thinking, you know, 96 plus. Ugh, all right, all right. Okay. Well, just because like Andrew you, Kashner used to throw really hard. Yeah, just because your perception of things is skewed, don't let the rest of us suffer. Well, that's what the podcast is for. <laughs> uh, so, <clears throat> all right. I was thinking though, because they they were a team that had to give up some pieces, that well, they're going to be miserable, and I maybe Steamer's a little bit rougher on them. Is uh, one thing to say, but uh, the at least the field players and the first three starters that's that's not a bad team, uh, right? The, so the the Reds I think are a kind of a classic stars and scrubs team, except for they only have you know maybe two stars in in Joey Votto and Johnny Cueto. Uh, but the end of their roster is scrub heavy. I mean, this is a team with zero depth, and as we saw last year, right. like. Votto went down and Brian Pena was their starting first baseman. Like right, right, the, right. the cliff from their best players to their reserves is enormous. Right. And so, yeah, and so that's true. They, so they're a club whose starters make up uh, at least an average ball club. Yeah, um, or probably roughly an average yeah, club. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, roughly an average ball club. But if one of those if, dudes goes down. If anything goes wrong. Yeah, uh, and, and, well, if anything goes wrong and then any, anything goes wrong after you've employed. Uh, Eugenio Suarez as a backup. Yeah, right. So they could afford to lose Phillips or Cozart and be okay. Right. Uh, except for then, you know, whoever their backup middle in, or backup uh, infielder would be behind. Uh, now the Suarez is starting is unclear. Right. So you know, so, yeah, the, it's a, it's right. a, so they yeah, just a, a lack of depth, I guess. Is, is, no, is nobody the, can get hurt. Right. Yeah. And that I guess, rarely happens over the course of a of a season. 
Yeah, this is they're basically betting on the you know 90th percentile health in right. order to be a contender. Right. What is the what do you think the uh, I don't I don't know precisely how you would produce the correlation, but the correlation essentially between the percentage of starters that remain healthy for the course of a season and a team's winning percentage. Yeah, I mean, I think it uh, it's probably pretty high. I mean, if you can only get through the season with, you know, say six starting pitchers pitching, you know, 90% of your team's innings, I would bet teams that, teams in that bucket, their average winning percentage is probably north of, you know, 520 or 530. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have, you know, bad starting pitchers stay healthy all year, but most likely if, uh, you know, if your pitchers are pitching, if your top five or six pitchers are pitching the great majority of your innings, probably none of them are pitching poorly either. Otherwise, you would have replaced them. So I think if you kind of look at it and just say, this is the only thing we're going to filter on is percentage of innings pitched by a team's, say, top six starters, uh, you, you've probably filtered out most of the bad teams by getting rid of the ones who have to use eight or nine or, in the Rangers' case, 27 starting pitchers. Yeah, yeah, the Rangers said that. Yeah, uh, and we could talk about the the Rangers momentarily. Their Zips projections came out. The Pirates came out. Let's get to your proposal, though, Dave Cameron. This is a uh, uh, last week again. It concerned a, a potential rule change for faster pace of play. In this particular case, you are looking to, and I think you've attempted to abolish the draft before. Isn't that right? I, I've been beating this drum for years. Yeah. Is this a different? Uh, and it, this concerns. Well, it's certainly highlighted by the uh, the Mankata Mankata's free agency, Yohan Mankata, yeah. uh, who there's going to be a large bonus given to him. There's going to be a, an equal number of dollars given to Major League Baseball as a tax for signing Mankata, and everybody, at least, well, the, certainly the league will point to this as a reason that uh, an international draft is a necessity. Yeah. Uh, now you have a proposal. Uh, we don't need that. We don't need any drafts. And uh, this proposal, how different is it from previous times when you've attempted to abolish the draft? Yeah, so I think uh, this is maybe version four, or at least three, <laughs> version three or four. No, wait, uh, were they all written sometime between January and and, and March? That's possible. <laughs> I think no. Uh, one of them was written in like July, maybe after uh, maybe after Mark Appel didn't sign with the Pirates. Okay. I think I like proposed it as like a solution to that as well. Um, so I think uh, maybe the first version was not uh, too different, except for it used um, kind of the same idea of sliding scales of player of kind of signing pools for teams, but it was tied to previous year winning percentage, which is basically uh, the same way draft picks are allocated now. So uh, good teams uh, were punished uh, for their success and given smaller pools, and bad teams were rewarded and given larger pools. And I think this is probably the uh, format that most people are comfortable with and that, you know, uh, they see the draft or, you know, the, um, kind of bonus pool allocation if we don't have a draft as a way to promote competitive balance by, you know, not rewarding good teams and giving them more good players, but giving, you know, uh, a team that's lousy at least a, a chance to load up on draft picks or. And, and a way to keep, to keep salaries down, right? Or, or bonuses. Well, I mean, so that's, that's absolutely what the draft is for. I don't think people see it that way. I think uh, in general, the the perception of the draft is that it's for competitive balance reasons. It's actually to hold down salaries, but they've done a good job of marketing it as a competitive balance tool. Right. Um, and so, under your proposal, that that would be, the draft element would be gone, because we, and it would we would just have the pools. I guess, actually, the, the, the amateur draft now is a hybrid between those two systems. 
Yeah, so in the, right now in the amateur draft, you have both. And I think what I was trying to highlight is that you don't actually need both. If you have very strict spending caps, uh, you you don't even really need the draft positions because if you make the difference in pools large enough, then the best talent is naturally going to float to the teams with the most money. Like, say say there was no draft position last year, and we gave the Astros, whatever, $8 million, whatever their signing bonus pool was, and we gave, you know, all the good teams 2 or $3 million, which is roughly what, you know, the winning teams got. There's no way Brady Aiken was going to go sign with, you know, uh, whoever, uh, the A's for $2 million. He just wasn't going to do that. He would have said, okay, I want $6 million, which is what he asked for from the Astros, or $7 million, or whatever he would have decided his market value was under this kind of new system without draft picks. And he would have gone and negotiated with the team with the most money. And then if that fell through, which it did, obviously, yeah. uh, he would have had an alternative plan of going and talking to the team with the second most money. And so I think you would have basically seen uh, kind of the best players would, you know, target the worst teams because they're the ones that would have the largest amount of resources. But it also wouldn't lock in uh, a team like the Astros into a choice between, okay, this is the best player on the board. We can either sign this guy who we have some medical concerns about, or we can roll our pick over to next year. They could have done the MRI and said, we don't like Aiken's you know, elbow. We're going to go sign the 7th and 13th best players instead for the same amount of money. Uh, so it gives the teams uh, a little bit more um, kind of interest in, in strategy, and they can come up with different plans rather than just, this is the best guy available, let's take him. It seems as though there, uh, there are more moving pieces in this scenario. So like I think of like Brady Aiken... There was obviously a question about his health, yeah. uh, and it not not it's not entirely understood what the questions were. I think you know involving his arm. Yeah, he had a, a small uh, ligament, right? Which which may or may not lead to future Tommy John surgery. Right. So so in this particular case, though, Aiken is dealing only with the Astros. Yeah. But but if Aiken if the Astros had a question, so you know Aiken would would be going through the same medical process with every team individually. Would you need like a centralized medical service to do? Yeah, I mean, I think if if you did something like this to where every team had at least a theoretical hypothetical chance of landing, you know, not every, say every player, but more players, where you wouldn't be locked in as much to just you know uh, narrowing down the field as much as it is in a draft scenario, you'd probably have some kind of combine or um, you know kind of centralized Major League Baseball. Uh, approved medicals, um, where everyone goes through it, takes it, all that information is disseminated to everyone equally. Uh, and then, you know, maybe at some point you could say, uh, you know, teams are allowed to do their own analysis and their own physicals and have guys see their own doctors. Um, but at least there's a centralized pool of information where if it got down to the end of it and, you know, negotiations broke down toward the deadline, the kind of alternate backup team wouldn't necessarily be caught with no information. Right. Okay. Um, and, and that's what makes even like, uh, well, I guess I, I don't know all of the uh, logistics concerning workouts at, uh, for like the 16-year-old Dominican players. But even when you see a situation like Mankata, where he's now working out for all these teams individually. Yeah, um, it's pretty inefficient. It's Yeah, it's inefficient. It seems like a real bummer for Mankata. Like he's well, like, I mean, he's going to be rich because of it, and so yeah. I guess that's the that's the work he's doing. But it doesn't necessarily have to be like this. Well, I think so. From his perspective, this spreads out the risk a little bit, right? Like if you put on ten showcases, ten individual showcases, mm-hmm. odds are pretty good that you're going to look pretty good in at least a couple of them. I mean, if you have any talent at all, you're you know, even if you're sick or you have the flu and a couple of them and they don't go very well, 
you're probably going to have a couple where you're hitting balls out of the ballpark left and right, and you're, you know, really impressing the people, and you only really need one or two teams to come away with a, a really high opinion of you uh, in order to generate a, a really massive bidding Yeah, war. you want them to be the teams with the money. Yeah, that would help, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I think, you know, if you only had one showcase and, uh, you know, for whatever reason, you, you just, it. you know, you just didn't get a good night's sleep the night before or, you know, for whatever reason there was variance in your, your talent level that Dave day. Cameron, Dave Cameron was there making everything awkward. That's right. If I showed up on your date the <laughs> night before and you're really bummed out about it, uh, especially with my kid, cause I wouldn't put him in a kennel. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, then, then at least you don't have one opportunity where you blow it in front of everyone. I think like multiple workouts probably is not a terrible idea. All right. Yeah. I, I guess from, I guess honestly, I'm just thinking of it from my perspective, especially You're just like lazy. It, yeah, just mostly being lazy. Yeah. Especially it's like snowing out, and it's like oh, I don't want to go outside. <laughs> Where do you think he's having these workouts? Yeah, right. I well, no, I'm not. I'm suggesting that <laughs> you think like Yohan Mankata is working out in Boston right now. Perhaps I have not <laughs> thought it entirely the way. That, yeah. and it's like I guess he like, defected to Guatemala. Right. So, you know, I guess. It's I guess also, he didn't even defect. He was allowed to leave. He was right. Yeah. And I guess the other point is like, well, what else is he doing? Like, he's a right. 19-year-old. Yeah. Who is st- strong and fast? Like, he's probably right. like, all right, uh, let me show you how strong and fast I am. Yeah. How many? And these things are certainly uh, put. You know, he's put in the scenarios where he's most likely going to succeed. So right. these are not like he's not running the, the Spartan race or a tough mutter or something. You mm-hmm. know, he's being thrown batting practice pitches. Right. right. Um. Okay. So. Oh, you know, uh, Kylie McDaniel brought this up uh, in print. I think we did, we discussed it briefly. But I'm curious your thoughts on it. This, the potential consequences for any team that does sign Mankata. Of course, they will have entirely maxed out their uh, international uh, bonus pool spending for this year, and thus what they won't be able to sign anyone for over three hundred thousand next year. Or oh, next two years. Next two years, right. Yeah. And that's after, after, after this next July 2nd, which means right. any commitments they've already made. And are I think null and void. Right, right. And they're not, what, they're not technically supposed to be making Right. I mean, that's the thing is you, they have to say like, well, these weren't firm, uh, firm agreements because we weren't allowed to make firm agreements. So. Right. And as Kylie pointed out, if they're making, I said, well, what if, you know, there are agreements with people who are under 300,000? And Kylie said, well, if they're, for guys who they're getting for under 300,000, they're probably not making the deals. Yeah, right. already. Yeah, it's yeah. the most it's the most high profile guys. So uh, there will be some consequences, at least in the short term, for that. Uh, Kylie's thinking that because there might be an international. So if if this team is is uh, forbidden for two years from signing anyone over three hundred thousand dollars, by the time that third year comes around, there's going to be an international draft anyway. Maybe, uh, and I think my my feeling on this is that if. Major League Baseball somehow manages to institute an international draft in the next CBA, they are going to make sure that the penalties carry over. They're not just going to be like, well, lucky you, we negotiated an international draft, so, you know, you're the Yankees or Red Sox or Dodgers or, you know, whoever, uh, your penalty goes away. Instead, they'll just strip them of their first round pick. Right, but the point is that the bad blood that might have been formed between the organizations and the agents in uh, the Dominican, for example, those would not necessarily like it. That element would sort of be removed from it because you're going to be dealing with this guy. If you if you draft the player, you're going to be dealing with his agent regardless. Yeah, I think like this has been a known scenario long enough that it, we're not going to have like bad blood right at the end when a deal gets broken off because everyone knows who's in the running for Mankata. And if so, if you have one of these like say top tier top tier 
talents for mm-hmm. next July 2nd, and you're negotiating with the Dodgers right now, you have like a, you know, 75% certainty that they're going to break it off with you, or 50%, or whatever you think the odds of the Dodgers signing Mankata are, or right. the Yankees, or whoever it is, you're already doing secondary work lining up another deal because you think this deal that you struck is going away. Right. Okay. So you want to do a deal with both the Yankees and the Dodgers? Probably. I yeah. think you probably say, okay, you know, we've agreed to terms with this guy. Let's call the other team and say, you know, if they get Moncada, you can have him for the same price. Okay. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I would I would like to know all the information about that. I would like to know it without leaving my house, though. Yeah, back to the laziness. Yeah, I think that's largely has something to do with it. Yeah. All right. Um. Well, that's all. That's uh interesting stuff. Mankata's good. I don't know. We, even Kylie and I didn't really discuss Mankata at great lengths because if you want Mankata related content, it's available. Yeah. You just Google Mankata and and uh, yeah. he, here, the, here's the a, internet will throw things at you. The bottom line is he's probably quite good. Yep. Um, and a team is going to give him about $40 million. Or maybe more. Maybe I more. think $40 million is going to be on the low side. Yeah. All right. Well, our, so, so I think our readers – well, our readers say 43, 45. Yeah, and the readers are generally low, right? Low, right. I mean, historically, teams pay 10 or 20% more than the readers guess. So. Yeah. He I will personally be surprised if the number is under 50. Really? Yeah. Wow. I think when you have all these teams expressing serious interest and the rumored – price is 40 million they're basically all saying yeah 40 million i'd sign this guy so that's the that's basically the bottom line like right. if all these teams are like yeah i really love this guy and i think the bidding is going to go for 40 <laughs> then then all of a sudden it gets into a bidding war and they're like well we can justify 41 and then the other guy can justify 44 and then all of a sudden you're at 52 yeah what's the what's the most money ever spent on a, a cuban player uh not 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 the amateur but, but i mean like the, yeah whatever. i think uh probably it's probably still Tomas, right? He got 68 and Abreu got 66. Okay. Yeah. So, so you, you know, yeah. So, so, so high 60s. Yeah. I so think that's correct. In total expenditure, this will crush that. Yes. Because of the length of, because the, the, the team control that will follow it? I think it's, yeah, I mean, that's part of it and the age. I mean, I think the fact is you're buying as prime years and, you know, people are going to talk about it and like, oh, well, you know, I've seen people run the calculations and say, like, this is this is only worth it uh, if you can get his salaries really cheap because you're still going to have to pay MARB prices. Well, fine. So you have to pay MARB prices, but, you know, look at what teams are doing with long-term contracts now. We can't just say you're only getting six years of control anymore. You're getting six years of control and six years of a chance to lock him up to a long-term deal below market prices. So, you know, maybe you're getting 10 or 11 years of control that no one else will get. Right. Yeah, he's a, he's a, a, a curiously... Strong body. Yeah. Um, and he plays shortstop. Yeah, not for long. But not for long, but yeah. Still. Okay. Uh, what's uh pirates? Uh, pirate zips. Pirates. What do you got? Good outfield. Yeah, very good outfield. Maybe yeah. probably the best in baseball. Maybe the best in baseball. Yeah, I mean it's either them or Mike Trout and whatever two stones <laughs> are playing next to him. But. <laughs> Well, Cole Calhoun is good, but yeah, right. Like, Cole Calhoun is not terrible. He's not terrible, but yeah. Um, but yeah, if you look at how would you do it? You would look at like the the not only not the overall war production because again, Mike Trout renders that sort of evaluation moot. But if you look at the like the most guys above a certain threshold or something like that. 
Yeah, I mean, there's different ways you could do it, right? right? Like, you could you could just look at it as, like, total production. Like, with these 2,000 at-bats these three guys are getting, what are they going to do with those 2,000 at-bats and, you know, whatever, uh, 3,500 defensive innings or something, yeah. um, which is basically just a, the, the, the genesis of war, but without the single number calculation. Or you could look at it and say, who has the most above-average outfielders? Um, or, you know, maybe whose uh, outfielders are maybe uh, all at least one standard deviation above the mean. Or just thinking about that. Just that's, probably about the, that's probably the Pirates. Yeah, right. That is, yeah, they're, yeah, they're good. And uh, Pol- Polanco, Polanco, Gregory Polanco, uh, did not, was not necessarily excellent uh, in his debut last year. It was actually kind of bad. Yeah, but still. But Zips, Zips is still a fan. Still promising, sure. yeah. 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 Uh, okay. That's what I talk about there. Josh Harris. Anyway, uh, and then the uh, Texas Rangers are uh, well. They've they've fallen, haven't they? They are not very good. Yeah. I think uh, you know John Daniels has done a lot of really good stuff there, and they've had a, a really nice run. Um, but you could say that their window might be closed, and it it might be time for them to just say, yeah, we we screwed up with the fielder and true contracts, and uh, you know a rebuild might not be the worst thing in the world if they are not contending this summer. Beltre and Darvish should absolutely be on the block. And at that point, you're starting over. Right. Those are the two best. Those two players are quite good. Um, yeah. And you could get a you could get a haul for both of them because they're both you know really good players at you know, really nice contracts. Uh, you would be uh, able to restock your farm system in a big way by trading those two. But then you would have uh, maybe the worst team in baseball left. Darvish uh, Darvish is interesting, right? He's had three seasons that are uh, thoroughly excellent. Uh, he had some injuries at the end of this last year, but he has never had. It, it seems that he has not yet had a season where um, he, for whatever reason, receives the amount of attention that it seems his skills would merit. Really? Well, yeah, I think. Uh, well, he has never. He hasn't won a Cy Young. Well, he's finished in the top five a couple times. Yeah, sure, but who? Hey, who remembers that, Dave Cameron? Me. Yeah. Yeah, but you remember a lot of things that people. You you also recalled from memory. The, what the precise figures of the of Yosemite Thomas's and Jose Abreu's uh, bonuses? Well, that is my job. It is that is your job. My point is yeah. your job is also to remember to some <laughs> degree who's in the top five Cy Youngs. I did right. not know that. You, interestingly, uh, probably the reason I remember it is Yu Darvish's uh, option uh, for the final year of his contract is actually based on a number of top five Cy Young finishes. No, it's like, not there's, really. There's like, a, there's like a point system that's like if he wins. Uh, or if he finishes in the second to fourth in multiple years, then the final year of his contract becomes a player option and he becomes a free agent earlier, which works into how you calculate his trade value, which is why I've thought about this more. Yes, it is. Exactly. Yeah, of course this is the only reason you know all this. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, that, that's so curious though. What are the, now that's a, that's a, a beginning of, it could be a longer discussion, but, uh, off the top of your head, cause that seems like a, uh, peculiar means by which to, uh, you know, um, to, uh, to have certain incentives um, unlock, or how do you say it? Um, uh, um, that's that's like a video game term. Uh, <laughs> but it, when you have cer- certain incentives um, become, uh, uh, a I'm not going to help you because this is actually a lot of fun. There's there's a verb you're twisting the wind. <laughs> certain is it? What you say? It. What are you going to say? Uh, I would say maybe achieved. Achieved, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, any anyway, the point is that like or. or you know, at that point where the the team option becomes a player option, et cetera, what are what are these um, what are the more peculiar arrangements you've seen so far as that's concerned? 
Uh, well, the, so like the CBA actually limits what you can put in there. So it's basically only allowed to be uh, based on playing time or award, like postseason awards. Like you can have like Silver Slugger or Cy Young or uh, you know All Star Game MVP. Mm-hmm. I think uh, those are always the fun ones, right? Is like some guy wins fifty grand for being the All Star Game MVP, which means like you went one for one on one summer day in July. Like you know the All Star Game MVP rarely is someone who does something significant. It's just pick a random player because everyone only played two or three innings. So. Um, I think in general though they're they're only based on you know innings thresholds or you know pl- playing time thresholds uh or postseason awards they can't you can't have one that's like if you get you know 13 home runs you get 100 grand that's not right. allowed. Well so the sometimes the the playing time or the isn't there also like a games finished yeah, right. You often set that up so that if a guy moves into the closer role, he gets more money. Because you can't do it based on saves. That's a performance metric. But you can do it based on playing time, and games finished is technically a playing time issue. But there have certainly been cases, right, where a player's uh, usage is manipulated by the organization because they know that he would get a bonus. They will never admit that, but yes. Right. Or yeah. the, especially, like, if it if a player option kicks in. What, what was the thing with Jimmy Rollins this year? Didn't he have a, a, a an option kick in for him? Yeah, there's, there's vesting options that happen every year, and Rollins had a vesting option based on playing time. And so I think I speculated back in March that maybe the Phillies would bench Jimmy Rollins early in the year uh, in order to play Freddie Galvis uh, in order to avoid Rollins' uh, option vesting. But then Freddie Galvis got hurt and was terrible, and Rollins was pretty good, and, and that whole conspiracy theory went away. Yeah, went away. Okay. Uh, I think that's it. Okay. Can I make a suggestion? Yeah. I want to rename the pod. Oh. We should call it Burying the Lead. Because uh, on the day that James Shields signed, you didn't even mention his name. Oh, we... Yeah, well, you did, well, like, the word James Shields never came out of your mouth. Oh, yeah, that's right. I I, I, I have it written down. Well, I, oh, yeah, we didn't get to the San Diego Padres. Yeah. Wow, we did. Oh, it's, not like, it's not like they've done anything this winter. I, I, I'm looking at my notes right now. It's the San Diego Padres right there. Yeah. Wow. But anyway, that, so I think that, that should be the new name of the podcast. Burying the Lead with Carson Stewie. Well, what do you have to say about James Shields? I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, not that much different than I said in my article, I guess. Yeah. He's what? He's good, but they're still probably a 500 team. And he's not even that good. I mean, he's fine, but uh, I think this is going to be a secondary post that maybe will be up by the time the podcast goes up, but maybe not. This might be a sneak preview for tomorrow's post. Uh, I think I'm going to compare James Shields and Wade Miley, uh, because the Red Sox, after trading for Wade Miley, signed him to a three-year, $19 million contract, which I think covered all of his ARB years, and then gave them a fourth-year team option at like $12 million. So if, if they pick up the option, Miley will cost him like $31 million over four years, uh, which is, you know... 40% of what Shields is going to cost for the next four years, I would take Wade Miley for the next four years over James Shields. Obviously, you, you know, they also had to give up some talent to get him, but, you know, the guys they gave up are not irreplaceable, and I definitely don't think they're worth $45 million. You know, you were saying that the guys they gave up, obviously, you know, they, they used their system to acquire players. Kyle McDaniel's, no, they used the Dodger system. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Um, or they used Nick Punto. At some level. Yeah, right. Yeah, they they used the the silliness of the uh, the Adrian Gonzalez trade yeah. uh, in order to turn it into Wade Miley. But um, Kyle was talking about yesterday, like the he, he th- about the misleading quality. No, he wasn't talking about it yesterday. Well, maybe he was, but not to me. We were talking about it when we talked on Friday. Uh, the misleading quality of system rankings or org rankings yeah. for prospect analysis, because the. If you just look at players that they themselves have signed and developed, uh, the Detroit Tigers would be like middle of the pack. 
Right, but they they turn these guys into major league players all the time. Right, yeah, that's like their their that's their system. Yeah, and that's just what they do, and you know they've obviously had success doing it. Yeah. Um, but I think that Kylie was attempting to I don't know if he had any formal plans, but at least you know pointing to the fact that that the that if you don't just evaluate a club's um, you know it's what it's a scouting and development team based merely on the on the pro, uh, the players who are in their system. Right. It's basically like what are what are the uh, assets we got from the system, and if you can trade a prospect for a good major league player, that guy becomes an asset you got from your system. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, uh, so that way we did bury the lead, though. You're right. Well, James James Shields signed with San Diego. Everyone. Yep. Read more about it at Fangraphs. Yeah. But don't listen to it on the podcast because we didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about it. Well, I thought it was a good conversation, though. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. <clears throat> I want to tell you right before we were on. Um, this is not related at all. Uh, I had uh, kimchi for the first time. Oh yeah, you well, did you like it? Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, it's uh, you gotta like pickled flavor or ferment, fermented flavor, yeah. which is not always my favorite. I do like sour things, but sometimes, like I'm not a huge pickled vegetable fan generally. Yeah, well, it was I. I mean, I did taste that a little bit, but mostly the spices were. I guess it probably depends how heavily spiced it is too. Yeah, I mean, the kimchi, like, I think that by definition, kimchi is fermented vegetables, right? Like, that's... Right, yeah, that's the the dish. Right, and then, well, it's fermented vegetables with spices, I guess. Right, but, yeah, I mean, so, your uh, appreciation of kimchi will depend on how much you like fermentation. I guess so, but, like, it's the same, for me, like, with tofu, right? Tofu just becomes whatever flavoring you add to it. Don't you think? Yeah, to a degree, yeah. Yeah, it does. I'm saying it does. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I, I think in the South we would use grits as an analogy instead oh, of tofu. That's a good one too. Yeah. Yeah. What is that? Semolina? Is it semolina? No, grits are uh, hominy. Corn, cor, hominy, cornmeal. Yeah. Hominy. Hominy is cornmeal. Yeah. Hominy, corn. You know, they're basically just uh, corn that's ground really finely. Okay. All right. I'm glad we got that in. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Cameron. Good, good way to end. Thank we spend more time talking about hominy than Dave. <laughs> Thank you, Dave Cameron. You're welcome. That has been uh, Dave Cameron, managing editor of Fangraphs. I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio.